Let us turn to our passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 3. Once again, the passage is 1 Peter 1, 13 to uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living an abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Good morning, Renewal Mainline. It's good to be with you even if we're here virtually this morning. My name is Bill Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a very strange time to live through. Our situation is vastly different than it was even a week ago. We have gone from being a nation that was somewhat concerned about the COVID-19 virus. We were taking, at this point, what we consider relatively small steps to address it. We voluntarily canceled sports seasons. We canceled conferences, adjusted wedding dates. If you went through the airports, you saw some people with masks on. We thought that all of that was a big deal. We've gone from that within the space of a week to implementing restrictions on a scale that in our democracy, nobody would have foreseen. Our democracy values individual freedoms and liberties above almost everything else. And within the space of a week, we have now shut down counties. We've closed whole states. We've closed schools, restaurants, bars, and all non-essential businesses. We've limited travel into the country and out of it. We've restricted public transportation within our nation. We've restricted the number of people who can meet together at any one time. If you recall, just a little over a week ago, several state and local governments made the suggestion that if you would, that we could voluntarily restrict ourselves to meetings of less than 250 people. 
on Sunday night, the CDC announced that we now could only have 50 people or less over the space of the next two months. And on Monday, just one day later, that number was reduced down to 10. During that same week, our language has changed about how we're talking about what's taking place in this country. Earlier news articles talked about how we could contain the virus, how we could limit its spread. And that was language that carried the underlying belief that we could contain it and that a relatively few number of people would actually be impacted. Starting this past week, we say things like that very little and more and more we talk about how the goal is to limit the speed of the spread, to slow the spread down, to flatten the curve. And it's language that carries a different assumption. It's language that implies that a significant number of people are going to contract the virus and that the goal is that they would have access to the medical facilities and that they need and that we not overrun those. Our new normal has become very fluid. It seems like we get restrictions now almost on a daily basis. We get new information on a daily basis as to who the virus impacts and how strongly it impacts them. If you want a good word to describe our time, turbulent would work. Uncertain, a little less scary. It's been a very humbling week. It's as though the veneer of modernity has been peeled back. And we have started to understand that our modern world that prides itself on being so strong, so civilized, actually has a lot of fragility. It takes very little to suddenly start to unravel it all. And life that seemed so stable, so certain just a few months ago, now feels unhinged. A blow to our arrogance, the arrogance of modernity that believes that we control our lives, that we are in charge of what happens to us. Now, why say all of this? It's not to scare you. It's not to jack you up further than you've already been this week. It is not to alarm you. It's not to trigger you. But if we're going to live well through this time, we have to have an accurate sense of what's taking place in our world. We have to understand it well in order to handle it well. And lots of people at this point in time are not handling it well. What are people doing? On the one hand, they're panicking. They're binge buying. They're emptying the shelves of stores. They are crashing the stock market. They're hopping from one panic-inducing headline to the next as rapidly as they possibly can. They're panicking. On the other hand are people who are just far too complacent, not taking the risks seriously, ignoring what local, state, and federal officials have tried to implement. And they want to live any way that they choose, regardless of who that might put at risk. I want you to live differently during this time, neither retreating from this time personally nor hardening yourself to the people around you. I want you to flourish. I want you to live as fully as you possibly can in as many ways as you possibly can, not caught up in fear, not caught up in self-absorption. I want you to flourish in this uncertain time. And to help us understand how to go about flourishing, we're going to take a look at the book of 1 Peter. We had already planned to finish up our series last week, once Nehemiah completed building his wall, which we saw in chapter 6. And we're going to start a new series in the book of John, but we're going to put that on hold for right now. Because this is a really important time for us that we can't afford to miss. It's an important time for us as a church, as Renewal Mainline. It's an important time for us as a society. And so we're going to study 1 Peter for several weeks to understand how can we go about flourishing in this uncertain time. Now, why 1 Peter? 1 Peter is written to Christians who are spread throughout the northern provinces of Asia Minor. They're going through a really, really rough time. We don't know the exact nature of what they are 
undergoing, but it's clear from what Peter says to him that they're suffering. And it's very clear that the suffering is extremely difficult. Now, on one hand, that's not too surprising. God's people have always suffered. It's part of what God promises us, and so it's not a surprise to see God's people suffering. What is a surprise to us in the 21st century is how Peter addresses these people who are suffering. Because he never says to them, wow, you, know, you guys are going through a really hard time right now, so why don't you dial it back? Why don't you pull in, withdraw, don't extend yourself, conserve your strength. You should just hunker down and wait until this all blows over, and then you can go back to living robustly fully as a Christian. Instead, the book is one long push forward. Peter is not rough. He's not mean-spirited. He never says, well, just get over. What's the big deal? What's wrong with you? Instead, he acknowledges what they're going through. He validates their experience. But he never validates it in a way that then provides them with an excuse that says, it's okay, just relax. Instead, it's as if he says, you're right. What you're dealing with is really hard. It's miserably hard. And therefore, in light of how hard it is, let me remind you, keep going. Here's your marching orders. Move forward. Don't retreat full speed ahead. Or in my language, flourish. Grow. Grow as big as you can in as many ways as you can. In some sense, hardship is a time for growing. It's a time for flourishing. That's the right way to handle it. And it's the way that you and I have to handle this time in our world's history. Now, let me give one caution before we dive in this morning. Because what we're facing with our virus is nothing like what our brothers and sisters were going through 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor. Let's just be frank together. What are we doing? Most of it uh, is, is an inconvenience at this point for most of us. We can't go where we normally go. We can't do what we normally would want to do. We may have lost income. We probably have watched our retirement accounts, our investments take a hit. We are now trying to figure out how do you do this work at home thing when other people are also trying to do this work th at home thing, when the kids are in your face and, and they're not with their friends and they're not with their normal schedule. And we look out at this larger world and we think, I really, 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 really don't want to get sick. And I don't want to pass that along to other people. In other words, it's hard. But it's nowhere near the kind of suffering that our brothers and sisters in the early church were going through. For that matter, it's nowhere near what our brothers and sisters around the globe right now are going through. And I suspect that's one of the reasons why 1 Peter is so difficult for us as Western Christians to really get on board with, because it seems like Peter is talking about this world that we have very little experience of. And yet that's the payoff for us today. Because if under the crush of real suffering, the gospel comes and it says, move forward, grow outward, don't collapse inward. If under the crush of real suffering, that's what it says, then how much more does it say that to us when we're going through less suffering. So we're coming to this book and we're wanting to know, how do you become someone who flourishes in uncertain times? How do you be a person who lives outwardly, freely, boldly, instead of inwardly? How do you become someone who flourishes in uncertain times? And in particular, what does that look like? What do flourishing people do and what do flourishing people not do? Now let me encourage you, if you don't already have a pen, get a pen, grab your phone, 
there's an awful lot in this passage. I'm going to go relatively quickly. You all know that I talk way too fast, but I'm going to do that this morning because there's a lot here. Go and get the podcast later uh, this week. I, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they're like, we have a podcast? Yes, we have a podcast. If you go to renewalmainline.org, you can find the tab that click on that. Get the podcast. You'll want to maybe listen to some of these messages again. So as we think about 1 Peter chapter 1, you're going to see three things in this chapter that help us understand how do we flourish in an uncertain time. And the first thing that you need if you're going to flourish is that you have to have a new nature. You have to go from being from living in a perishable world to an imperishable world, and I'll unpack what I mean by that in a few moments. You have to have a new nature. Secondly, you reject a lifestyle built on what perishes. And thirdly, you have to embrace a lifestyle that's built on what lasts. So you have to have a new nature. You have to reject a lifestyle built on what perishes. And thirdly, you have to embrace a lifestyle built on what lasts. So first, you need a new nature. You have to go from a perishable life to an imperishable one. Peter tells the Christians in Asia Minor, I have something for you to do. I have a command. I'm going to give you an instruction. And he tells them in verse 22, you need to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Kind of counterintuitive. They're undergoing suffering, and he says, now that you're suffering, you need to reach out. You need to actively not think about the suffering you're going through. Personally, you need to think about what's happening to other people, and you need to love one another earnestly through this time. I think, okay, Peter, if you're going to tell me to do something that's counterintuitive to my natural inclinations, I need a good reason for that. And so he follows up in verse 23 with the reason. Let me just hit verse 22 again. Love one another earnestly from the heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says you're to have a different approach to each other than the world around you would. You're to love because you have a different reality from the world around you. You've been born again. You've been born not from something of this world, not from something perishable, but from something imperishable, from something outside everything that we're used to in this world. In other words, he says there are two fundamental realities there's what we can talk about as the perishable world. There's what we can talk about as the imperishable world. There's two kinds of being. There's perishable and imperishable. And these two different realities produce two different kinds of lifestyles because they're inhabited by two different kinds of persons. Let's take the perishable world just to sort of unpack this a little bit. When all you have is perishable, well, where's your focus? Your focus then has to be on what is perishable. It has to be on the here and now. You can only focus on what per perishes. That means when times are difficult, your basic impulse is what? It's to conserve what you have. It's to hang on to this thing because this is all you've got. Well, if that's your impulse, then it leads to certain kinds of responses. It leads to fear. You start to be concerned that what you have, you're going to lose. And so you obsess about all of the threats at different times that are out there. And you start to think about how might those threats impact what I have, my health, my career, my livelihood, my possessions. And if that's the world that you live in, this is all I have, and this is what I have to protect, you're going to live a life of anxiety and a life of constant worry. Because if it's not a specific threat in 2020, it'll be some other kind of threat somewhere else. Those things that you are holding on to, they all perish. 
and you're all, they're, they're all going to leave you. If that's your goal, to hang on to all this, you live a life of worry and anxiety. Or you might be a person who says, you know what, I, I want to see if I can mitigate the loss. I want to think down the road a little bit and preserve what I have. So what are the common ways that we normally try to preserve what we have? One is through gathering information, because if I have enough information, enough data, I can see the threat coming and I can make decisions about what to do. Or the other strategy is, let me get more and more in stockpile. Both of those approaches to life are dead ends. Why? Because you can never have enough. If you think that information will save you, that knowing enough information will actually help you make the right moves and the right strategies, my question is, when do you have enough? When do you have enough information? You can always read one more news article. You can always listen to one more broadcast. That kind of road leads you to constantly having to search and research because you might miss that one important piece of data that will help you preserve everything. Or if you want to start stockpiling, well, how much is enough? Should you stockpile for the next three weeks, the next three months, the next three years? How much toilet paper really is enough? You realize that this is a, a, a methodology that leaves you consumed with stuff, collapsing inward on yourself rather than being able to live outwardly. Or maybe you move in the opposite direction. You think, well, if perishable is all it, there is, if this is as good as it gets, I should try to get as much as I possibly can for myself. And so then you're like the guy who went out and bought literally 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer so he could put them up online and gouge other people because this was now a high-value commodity, high commodity. And so he's eating other people in order to satisfy himself. Or you decide, you know what, I, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go hang out on Florida's beaches. I'm going to keep my business open because I really don't care. Who else that puts at risk? Now, go down that road, consume yourself with all this stuff, and it hardens your heart. You're no longer quite as human as you sh should be because you're no longer thinking about other people who are exactly just like you. All of these dysfunctional approaches to an uncertain word, world don't flourish because they're consumed with what is perishable. They're either trying to hang on to it or they're trying to get more of it or they're fearful that something's going to take it from them. Now, how do you know if that's you? Well, think about what's preoccupied your mind this last week. Think about the kinds of actions that you've taken over the past week. Are the things that you are consumed with, concerned about, are they things that you will still think are important 100 years from now? Will you still be concerned about them 100 years from now? Will you still be consumed with them 100 years from now? If the answer is no, then you've become someone who's locked into this perishable world. And you're trying to protect it and guard it as if it's the only world that does exist. Now, what's the remedy? You have to somehow get out of that world. So the bad news first, you can't get yourself out of that. If the perishable world is all that you know and it's all that you have, you can't put together enough perishable things to make something that's imperishable. You're locked into that world. Here's the good news. God gets that. And so he comes and he enters in and he brings something from outside the perishable world and he gives it to you so that you now are able to be part of that which lasts forever. Verse 23 again. You have been born again, past tense, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So God takes his word, this living and abiding word of God, this word that is alive, that lasts, 
and he does something just like he did at creation. He speaks something into being that wasn't there before. He puts life inside of you, this imperishable seed, this awareness of who God is, this ability to love him back, this ability to love the kinds of things that he loves. It's a different kind of life than you had before, and it's an imperishable world. This life that God gives you is irreversible. It doesn't ever perish. To underline that, Peter quotes from Isaiah in verses 24 and 25 there in 1 Peter 1. He says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It doesn't wither. Its beauty never falls. It remains forever, and the implication is whatever it creates to be forever will also remain as long as it remains. It'll be imperishable, just like the word of God. And God takes that imperishable word, plants a seed inside of you that now flourishes, and it grows into something, even though planted inside of you in this perishable world, it grows into something that outlasts this world. That's what God does. He gives you an imperishable nature. It's amazing. And it's not enough. Because up until that time, you've lived in this perishable world and you have been consumed with this perishable world and trying to hang on to it as much as you can. That's a way of life that has nothing to do with the Lord. It's something that you have to be rescued from. And he also does that through something that's imperishable. He ransoms you, verse 18. He ransoms you from the futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, this futile way of living, trying to hang on to this world as if it's the only world that exists. He ransoms you from the futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, not with things that will not last, the kinds of things that we're all trying to hang on to as much as we can, but with the precious blood of Christ. You've been ransomed from these futile ways of life, these empty, useless pointless ways of life that had nothing to do with God. You've been ransomed from them by a person who didn't come up from inside this perishable world, but who came into it from the outside, bringing with him something that would actually be enough, strong enough, precious enough to ransom you. You've been ransomed from that empty way of life with his blood. You've been given a new imperishable life. This is who you are. If you want to flourish through this uncertain time in our world, This is the truth that you have to meditate on. This is what you have to turn over and over and over in your mind as you see all of those news articles that want your attention, want you to focus on the perishable world. You have to recall to yourself, no, I'm part of the imperishable world. And so you allow yourself to meditate on the reality that you are no longer, let me say it this way, merely human. You're not what you were. You are now more than you were when you were born into this world. You now belong to that imperishable world, and the perishable world no longer has any claim on you. You've been ransomed from the debt that you owed while you were living in it. And that means that you will not simply die here on this earth and lose everything. You've been reborn, birthed into the the imperishable world. You've been made for more than this world and more than this life, even while you live here. So when you face uncertainty, upheaval in this present, perishable world, it fundamentally cannot rock you to your core. 
Why is that? Because there's this seed of imperishability there that's the real you. This world can upset you, it can scare you. You need to take precautions. But whatever happens here cannot change who you now are. And the circumstances that take place in this world cannot fundamentally alter your eternal destiny. They can't change your future. That's number one. In order to flourish in an uncertain world, you have to have a new nature and you have to remind yourself of that new nature. Number two. You have to reject a lifestyle that is based around this perishable world. And there are two ways that Peter talks about doing that. Number one, verse 14, he says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed. Don't let yourself be squeezed into a certain mold. He's saying there are pressures in this perishable world that would try to shape you to make you conform to certain ways of thinking, certain ways of acting, don't let them do that. Where do these pressures come from? They come from the passions of your former ignorance. Passions of your former ignorance. Passions of the way that you used to live thinking about the perishable world as if it was the only thing that was here. And that word, the Greek word there for passions is really important. We look at passions and we tend to think emotions. Passions, when you translate the Greek, actually is more like turbocharged desires. The, the, the Greek word there is epithumia, and it's a word that is actually in a person at the lowest level of who they are. It's the desire that drives the way that they feel. It drives their emotions. It's the desire that drives what they think. It drives what they do. And when Peter uses this word, it's almost, it, not almost, it's always negative. He always ties epithumia to this perishable world in some way. And so what scripture is saying here is do not let yourself be squeezed into the shape that your former desires would give you, those desires from this perishable world. Instead, fight that conformity. Resist it. It's not who you are now as an imperishable being. Therefore, don't give in to it. But the fact that he has to tell you, do not be conformed to those, de those desires, those passions, tells you something. Even though you're part of this imperishable world, you're still susceptible. You can be tempted by, those, by the, the, the perishable world way of thinking, those perishable world desires. And he says you have to actively not give in to fear. You have to actively work at not trying to protect yourself at all costs. You have to actively work at not trying to get as much from everybody else that you can. Since you can give in to it, fight it. You're now part of the imperishable world. Don't let yourself be shaped by the desires that come from the perishable one. It's number one. Secondly, don't live according to the logic of the perishable world. Don't keep living as though the logic of that world made sense. Chapter 2, verse 1. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. I'm going to read those words again. I want you to think how each one of those is a relational word. How those words only take place within relationships. Put away all malice, all anger. Put away, and, and, and hatefulness, put away all deceit, all trying to uh, make people do things in such a way that, that hurts them. Put away all hypocrisy, that image management kind of stuff that we all do. 
Put away envy, that wanting to have what everybody else has and is, and put away all slander, running each other down. Why do those things ever make sense? They only make sense if you have something you're trying to guard and protect, something that you're going to lose. And so you either try to push people away or you try to wrap them into a different uh, world so that you can get what you want. Those things work according to the logic of a perishable world. And now that you're part of the imperishable world, they have nothing to do with you because you're not trying to guard and protect what is going to perish and pass away. So don't be driven by the passions of a perishable world. Don't live out the logic of a world that cannot last. Because if you do, you cannot flourish during an uncertain time. So number one, if you want to flourish in an unstable world, you have to have a new nature. You have to be part of the imperishable world. Secondly, you have to reject a lifestyle that is based on the perishable world. Third, you have to embrace a lifestyle that's built on the imperishable one. Now, how do you do that? Verse 13. We didn't read the whole chapter, but if you read the first 12 verses... It talks about the salvation that Jesus Christ has won for you. And it talks about all the benefits that come to you. So the chapter starts off with, here's all the benefits that you've had from salvation. Verse 13, therefore. So based on all of those benefits, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's grace coming. There's grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's future grace. You've already received grace. You've already been made part of this imperishable world. You've already been made God's children. You call him Father. That's gracious. And there's more. Because when Jesus is revealed to the whole world, God's going to remake the world. And he'll remake you as well. You'll no longer have those passions that are uh, still bothering you that you have to fight against. You will no longer uh, even be tempted by the logic of this broken world. So what you have right now is real, but it's a taste of what's coming. And what Peter says is, think about that future, preparing your mind, line yourself up with it, set your hope fully on that grace that you are going to get. Don't let yourself hope in anything from this perishable world. Because why? None of it's going to last. And so if you hope in anything here to give you stability in life, you're going to lose that stability because everything here on this earth perishes. And therefore, you need to what? You need to orient yourself to that future. Because how you think about that future will shape how you live now. What you expect to have happen in that future, that you're going to have way more then than you ever could possibly have now, that will change how you go about living day to day. The big picture category for what that means is found in verses 15 and 16 when Peter says, be holy. It's a command based on who you are as this uh, part of the imperishable world. Now be holy. Be separate. Live a life, live a lifestyle that's different from the perishable world. Live a lifestyle that's like God's. Be holy. Think, okay, great. Now, <laughs> what does that mean? Let me give you three things real quickly in this passage. Number one, being holy means you want to grow spiritually. Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, 
long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn infants, he says, like, you should be like a newborn infant. You ever see a, a young infant who uh, is hungry? Everybody knows it. <laughs> and that child only quiets down, only calms down when they're fed. He says, that's what you ought to be like as part of this imperishable world. If you're born into that world, you are hungry to be spiritually fed. You're just not satisfied with anything else until you've been fed. And that'll be true of you whether the world is stable or uncertain. You will continue to want to grow. That's why when the pastors and elders sent out an email earlier this week, we included a link to a free devotional on that, uh, in that email. It's a devotional that will help you set your mind and it'll help you set your hope on that future grace. And it'll help you then to grow. So my suggestion is read one less article about the virus and read one of the devotionals instead. Watch one less video to help you escape from all the craziness all around you and read one of the devotionals. Feed yourself, crave that kind of food. And if you didn't get that email, email uh, uh, then, then contact us. You can go to our website at renewalmainline.org. Down at the bottom, uh, I think it's in the middle, there's a link that you can click on. Contact us, let us know that you'd like the email with the devotional link in it, and we'll be glad to send that to you. And I know that there are some people who have been watching uh, who are not part of the Renewal co Congregation. We'd be happy to send that link to you as well. So again, go to our website, renewalmainline.org, all one word, renewalmainline.org. Let us know that you'd like to have the devotional, and we'd be happy to get that to you. So that's number one. Being holy means you want to grow. Number two, it means, verse 22, that you love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Finish off that verse. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of imperishable seed, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, why does Peter tie those two together? Why does being eternal, imperishable, why does that lead to loving one another? What does your imperishability have to do with the way that you treat your brothers and sisters? It's because your brothers and sisters are also eternal. They're also imperishable. And so loving them is actually an imperishable activity. Think about it from the other side, maybe it'll be a little bit clearer. If you pour out love for things that are perishable, your present health, your possessions, if you wrap your world around those things, if you love those things as though they are the only thing that, that, that's worthwhile and valuable, then your love is also perishable. It can't last because those things are not going to last. The object of that kind of love doesn't keep going. But when you love that which does not perish, when you love those who are also imperishable, then not only does that love have value in this life, but it's a love that keeps on going on into eternity. So during this uncertain time, make sure that you're thinking about how to love this family of brothers and sisters that God the Father has birthed you into. People are going to have spiritual needs around you that you need to meet, that you can meet. They're going to have emotional needs, friendship needs, physical needs, financial needs. So reach out to each other. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
Ask yourself, who is it that needs a text from me? Who needs to be encouraged? Who needs an email? Who needs a phone call? Who needs a chance to share their day and the frustrations of their day so that we can pray together? Who needs to, to know about this link that I just found to, to help me figure out what to do with my kids all day long and, and how I can actually uh, bless them and serve them? Go into the fellowship rooms after the service is over. Not just because it's good for you. Go there because someone there needs you and they need to be loved well by you. Being holy means first, you want to grow. Secondly, it means that you love your brothers and sisters. It also means that you love those who are not yet your brothers and sisters. God brought you to this imperishable life by his living and abiding word. But how did this great privileged life come to you? Verse 25. This word is the good news that was preached to you. It just didn't fall out of the sky. You didn't stumble over it. Instead, it came from someone who was already part of that imperishable world. Someone who was not so absorbed with the perishable world that they overlooked you, that they didn't have time for you. Instead, they came to you and they communicated to you, this is who God is. This is what he's doing. He's ransoming. He's creating new life. And that came to you at a time in your life, whether you grew up in the church and always had a sense of who God was, or you came to faith later in life, that came to you at a time where all of the stuff that you were trying to use in the perishable world to make your life work, it just wouldn't. It came to you at a point in time when your life was uncertain. This larger world right now is uncertain. What does that mean? It means that it's a time for many of the people around you right now to hear the good news. It's a time when many of those people will recognize the, the voice and the call of the Father in a way that they would not have recognized any other time. Take them the good news. In Peter's words, preach to them. Don't be preachy. <laughs> Communicate the good news to them. Don't miss this opportunity. Your father made sure that you got to hear the, the news when you needed to. Ask him, who around me needs to hear this good news? Growth, love, and preaching. Those are the things that have to consume you right now. It's very easy to be consumed with wondering, where are all the germs and where are they hanging out and how, you know, how do I manage to avoid all of them? Those germs will perish. Your body will perish. Your possessions will perish. Take necessary precautions. But don't trust those precautions to give you a rich, full, flourishing life. You already have one. It can't be taken away from you. And so now live in line with that life. Grow spiritually. Love one another. Preach the good news. That's our call. It's a call to flourish. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, you have given us just an amazing gift, something that we could never have had the sense to ask for on our own. Lord, you have done for us something that will last forever. Lord, allow us, give us the strength 
to not be consumed with what's taking place around us, not trying to get as much as we can. But give us the grace, Lord, to extend ourselves both to you and to other people. Lord, I pray that you would do this for the sake of your name, for the good of your kingdom and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.